Hello, BYWD Tribe. Here's a quick peek at our supplement, product, and book of the month for March 2020. At the end of the podcast, I'll spend a few minutes going into further detail, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for March is Stress Rebalancer. This is our unique, specially selected blend of adaptogens, vitamins, herbs, and amino acids that will help counteract the negative effects of stress on your body. The 10% discount code for the month of March is Stress Relief. 10. That's lowercase. Our book of the month is F Your Feelings, Master Your Mind, Accomplish Anything and Become a More Significant Human by Ryan Muncy. Our product of the month is Kavaplex from True Kava. Our listeners will receive 20% off using the code and it's all capitals, capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G, capital K, capital A, capital V, capital A, BYWG, Kava. <clears throat> it is very likely in the month of March we'll have both Ryan Muncy the author of F Your Feelings, and Cameron George from True Kava on the podcast. So keep an eye out. All the links, discount codes, and special offers to the product, supplement, and the book will be listed in the show notes and iTunes, posted on social media, in our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome back to Beyond Your Wildest Jeans podcast. Today, I hope to demystify kava with Cameron George from True Kava. I first tried kava 25 years ago in college with a good, relaxing effect with my girlfriend, now wife. Uh, more recently, a patient of mine suggested I give micronized kava a try, and I did. And in real recent, uh, in a Dave Asprey biohacking box, I got my first bottle of kava plex. And man, this is so much easier, so much more effective. And listen, Cameron, I'm really happy to have you on today. Oh, thanks so much. Honored to be here. <laughs> cool, cool. So let me read your bio and then we'll get started. Cameron is the founder of True Kava, a project that has been many years in the development and is centered around delivering safe, palatable, user-friendly, traditional kava products to the modern world. Since discovering the amazing effects of traditional kava during his own chronic illness, Cameron spent many years investigating every aspect of kava and has collaborated with many of the most prominent experts in the world in the field of kava research and historical kava use. The goal of this project is to provide the safest, most effective kava products on the market, as well as educate the public on the complex stories surrounding kava, explaining some of the myths, the massive variations of quality on the market, and the many amazing benefits that kava can have and offer when it's used correctly in a traditional form. It is an initiative to educate on the clear distinction that scientific literature and historical accounts have made between safe and questionable kava products as well as advocate the use of only lab-tested safe kava variety. I don't think I've said kava that much ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cameron, you know, I've listened to a lot of different podcasts, you know, studying up for our podcast. Um, can you give a brief description of your story, your journey um, prior to finding kava and finding kava and lead us into more of, of uh, true kava? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, so just like so many people that get into the, you know any aspect of this world of health and wellness, I kind of came into it by necessity. I didn't, uh, you know, there wasn't a point where I just said in my life, I'm going to go search the world for the most exotic uh, plants, uh, you know, plant medicines that I can, and kind of <laughs> see what they can do. Right? Um, I got into it because whenever I was in my early 20s, I became very chronically ill. Um, and it was something that kind of happened slowly over time, but I got to a point where the bottom fell out. Um, and it was what 
I always call a perfect storm of you know, different factors that came together, which is really usually the story of chronic disease in and of itself. But I ended up with a very, very bad, devastating autoimmune condition that wasn't specific to any one tissue. Um, but I had a, a bunch of environmentally toxic exposures. I was put on a lot of in, in, um, uh, pharmaceutical drugs. Um, I had some huge emotional traumas that all sort of came together and converged. And um, I ended up, you know, with debilitating fatigue, which then, you know, eventually turned into severe anxiety. I eventually developed a lot of different environmental sensitivities, which happens in some of these autoimmune conditions that are driven by different neurotoxins. I was also expo exposed to really toxic black mold in my um, in an apartment that I was living in. I was at college at the time. So all these things kind of came together. And, and I ended up in this weird sort of trauma, illness, autoimmune spectrum uh, of environmental sensitivities where I was reacting substantially to foods. You know, it started off with one food and then two foods and then and then a whole bunch of foods. And then eventually I was reacting to almost everything that I was eating. And my reactions would be both neurological and immunological. So I at my very worst, I would. I was reacting to almost every food that I was eating going into either full-blown anaphylaxis or going into an excitatory reaction that eventually got so intense that they were full-blown grandma seizures. So um, my, my body was spazzing out at most foods, definitely supplements, um, and, you know, even like exposures to different types of things in the air, you know, chemicals, all kinds of things. Um, you know, and this just you know, essentially happens because the body is so traumatized and overburdened with stressors. The body's metaphorical stress bucket gets overflowed and the limbic system, which is the emotional system, the fight or flight system in the body sets up a defense response to try to protect you. And it gets so disoriented and confused uh, that you can become this kind of hypersensitive type of type of person. But anyways, mine was like the absolute most severe, like, you know, version of this type of illness. And uh, it was so bad that I, you know, I, through this process, I, I exhausted obviously the whole allopathic model first, went through all the medications, went through, you know, down to Mayo, traveled around the U.S., even outside the U.S. Then I stepped into the alternative integrative model, uh, you know, more of the, the mainstream aspect of that, of just doing single therapies and treatments, IV treatments, every supplement under the sun, that kind of stuff. Um, then I finally got into this world of more functional medicine that's looking at this, this, you know, the body is a complex system and it's trying to use a multi-therapeutic approach that's synergistic with a lot of different things to sort of get a leg up on it and get the body to actually start to recover and heal. But anyways, I digress in my process. Um, my, the one thing that was inhibiting me the most of getting to the origin of some of my problems that I needed to address, like detoxification, um, like, you know, addressing my gut microbiome, um, you know, and so on. I, I, I couldn't tolerate or do anything because my reactions were so bad. And I was constantly having seizure after seizure after seizure. And, you know, anyone who knows about, you know, epilepsy or seizures, I mean, these things are very damaging to the body. And the more that you have, it tends to be a negative feedback loop and perpetuate the intensity of the next one. And so I end up in a situation where I'm degenerating from my own reactions and I can't do hardly anything or tolerate any treatment, therapy, modality, supplement, 
food. And I literally had got to a point where I was dying of starvation and dehydration. It took me a while because you can go a while without food. But I got to the point where I was even reacting to water, where I was going into these seizures from even drinking water. It was the craziest thing. Um, so I, I had to get a leg up on my somehow to get my reactions to go down so I could start doing some of the things that were actually going to turn the tide in my favor. And at this point, I had actually found, um, you know, a, a network of doctors that I eventually got my life back through and, um, you know, started working with a gentleman named Dr. Daniel Pompa. And he's sort of in this realm and he's actually part of this project now we, we got together. And, uh, but, you know, he, he and I were working together. He was coaching me. Um, and we couldn't get a leg up on this process. We were trying to find a way to, to get my reactions to calm down enough to where I could tolerate some of these things. You know, I mean, just, just any of the strategies that we were trying to use. Um, and at the time, the, the only thing that I could tolerate to some degree were like benzodiazepine drugs because in high dosages, because I would react to the drugs, but if I take a high enough dosage, the inhibitory effects of those drugs would kick in. You know, these are drugs like Xanax and Klonopin. They're very highly addictive, very toxic drugs that, that work in the short term, but lead to dependency and withdrawal symptoms and all the, these negative kind of things. So I knew that it wasn't a sustainable thing, but also I, so I could take high enough doses of the drugs to where when the drugs would kick in, they would neutralize my reaction. I would be able to tolerate things for the half-life of the drug, but I would get tolerance to them so fast that it was sort of like, you know, I, I couldn't sustain that. And my, I knew that if I got addicted to these drugs and I downregulated my inhibitory systems even more that were the only thing that was protecting me from a, a lethal seizure, then my body would eventually ricochet in the opposite direction in the withdrawal and my seizures were already so bad that it was going to it was going to kill me. I mean, it was, you know, so it was a very dangerous situation. So I could do that temporarily with the benzos, but um, it, it wasn't a sustainable thing. So obviously that that led me to to, um, you know, investigating relentlessly to try to find a more natural, biologically compatible alternative to benzodiazepine drugs to control my reactions, to reduce my anxiety, to allow me to sleep, all of those things, to just rest my nervous system that wouldn't give me the dependency, the withdrawal symptoms eventually, and that wouldn't be adding to this toxic burden and adding an extra toxic uh, stressor to my brain and neurological system. And... I scoured the literature. Um, I was working with, with Dr. Pompa at the time. He was, I had already spent years, um, you know, scouring medical and scientific literature. I was always prone to that kind of thing. I'd spent probably eight or nine years doing that to try to find answers just to my whole process, my whole disease process. Um, and I had already been down this road and I sort of knew some of the all-star um, plant compounds, obviously hemp and CBD and, you know, medical cannabis. And then even some of the much lighter ones, the, the valerian, you know, the chamomile, the lemon balm, all of those things that most people who have tried to find natural alternatives to anxiety have tried, the amino acids, gabatorine, theanine, tryptophan, any of those, um, and, and tried to find, you know, different supplement stacks that would work. But I needed something stronger. I mean, you know, using a lot of those supplements, with the exception of medical cannabis, which didn't work for me at all. Uh, it just made me far more anxious and paranoid and didn't tolerate it well. Um, all of those things that I just named were just not strong enough. They were kind of like trying to you know, take down an elephant with a BB gun. Like It's not like that they're bad. They're very, very good. Um, but you know, the effects are very subtle. And, and for healthy people, 
um, those things can be very effective. But for me, I just needed something a little bit more. Uh, so, you know, anyone who's researched anxiolytic plants or plant compounds that can calm the nervous system or modulate the nervous system eventually comes across kava usually in their reading. And you'll read a lot of things that, that, that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's known as being one of nature's most powerful anxiolytic plants that has pharmacology that's very similar to benzodiazepines plus a multitude of other mechanisms uh, that are very interesting and beneficial as well. Um, but I had actually tried kava, or what I thought was kava at the time, which ended up not actually being real kava, and didn't get hardly any effects. I mean, the effects were just in that sort of range of all those other plants, the valerian and the chamomile and things that I just named, passionflower, and I wasn't that impressed with it. These little, these little capsules in the grocery store called Kava Kava. Um, so I, I realized later that that wasn't actual real Kava. But once I got the real stuff, I ended up um, having a huge turnaround pretty quickly. And I never expected to get that much of a therapeutic effect out of a natural compound that quickly. I was totally blown away by it. It took you know a few weeks of taking it. But long story short, I was able to get off of my benzodiazepines within two months, which is totally unheard of because I'd been on them for an extended period of time. And normally it requires a year to year and a half taper minimum to safely get off these things. Um, so I was amazed. The doctor, um, uh, Dr. Pompa, who I was working with, uh, who was, like I said, guiding me in um, cellular detoxification and a lot of different strategies, um, he was blown away by it. He has a network of doctors, of thousands of doctors across the country. So we started trying it on some of the other uh, patients. I was sourcing the kava and had the same profound results with a huge percentage of them. So we both got really excited about it. It led to years later where I decided to source this kava and put it in a more palatable form for people to tolerate and uh, um, you know, to make it available because I realized that didn't exist. I had to use something that was very hard to prepare and all that stuff. So, so, and that brings us to where we are today. So. <laughs> Yeah, so so then let's let's start talking about the difference a little bit. So give our audience the the traditional version. I know you get this powder with with some lots of fiber, and you got to kind of mash it in water, and you drink it. Um, and then there's the micronized version, which is a little bit easier. Where you mix it, and then now all the way up to your version, which is uh, in oil dropper form, simple, easy, taste good. Uh, how, how about running through those so people get a little bit of an idea of all the different types of preparation, historical preparation, a little more modern, and all the way up to true kava and to kava plex. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and just to, just to retouch on this again, I know that I, I mentioned that kava is anxiolytic and stuff, but just to give people a little bit more of an idea and context of what kava actually is. Yes. So, right, so just like I said, it's an anxiolytic or, or – a, a powerful anxiety or stress-relieving herb that's from islands in the South Pacific. So it's from it, it, it originates in islands like Fiji and Hawaii, but really um, its its longest stint of use is in an island chain called Vanuatu, which is right off the coast of Fiji. And it's this plant, and it's this shrub-like plant that goes that grows about three meters high with these beautiful heart-shaped leaves, and the roots of this plant are traditionally prepared as a drink by, you know, chopping up the roots, drying the roots, or, or taking them fresh, 
putting them inside a strainer bag or cloth and squeezing them out in a bowl of cold water for 30 to 45 minutes to release this full matrix of active constituents. And it's been traditionally used as a drink that's been used for 3,000 years in these islands uh, in, in, in Vanuatu and almost that long in Fiji um, as a core staple of these cultures. It's, it, it's a foundational pillar, you know, social pillar of these cultures. It's used for weddings, funerals. It's used for social gatherings, spiritual ceremonies um, because of its ability to to loosen up your nerves to get you a little bit socially activated, kind of like alcohol, but without the drunkenness. And um, it's just a huge you know, social thing. It's got these, these psychological components, too, that really get you centered and, and sort of in this reflective, very calm, clear state of mind. So that's, that's generally what kava is historically. And you can go to the islands still today, too, and have the, the, um, the uh, traditional drink. And the traditional drink is where the, the real effects of kava are. Like that's like what's what's written about in the in a lot of the literature and the anthropological accounts of this beautiful, magical drink from the South Pacific. That's what they're referring to. They're not referring to capsules that you find in stores, the, the Kava Kava capsules, like I had said, that you'd find in some of these health food stores and stuff. So that's that's generally what Kava is, and that's what it's generally been used for. So. So whenever I got into actually sourcing kava, you know, because so basically I decided to give it another shot while I was in the midst of my process. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Because I kept talking to people who said, no, that's not real kava. Those capsules aren't real kava. You got to try the real stuff. So I ended up contacting individuals down in the islands. I went, you know, to Fiji and Vanuatu to these places to try to find what the real stuff actually was and ended up, you know, getting contacted with a lot of different farmers and, and, and suppliers who were sending me these bags of this dry root that was like the real kava. And there was this, this like five step process to how to prepare it at home. And you had to like get the bowl of water, you had to fill up the whole thing, you had to put it in the strainer bag and you had to squeeze it out. And then there were all these root chunks and this gunk that got everywhere. Cause it's a really oily, uh, substance and that's what the active constituents actually are and it's a huge messy process it gets your strainer all all gunky and everything and uh it, you know you have to clean everything and it's just this huge ordeal that you have to do which i was perfectly willing to do at the time i was perfectly willing to do it but then at the very end you you end up with the kava drink which is looks and tastes like muddy water uh, in a lot of ways i mean it's not maybe not as bad you can acquire a taste for it but it's, it's, it's generally not great tasting stuff. The actual drink isn't. Um, so you can actually order root powder in, of multiple different strains. There are like you know, hundreds of different strains of kava. Um, so that's, that's like the, the traditional sort of you know, what they call a medium grind sort of bag of the dried root is, is like the only form currently where you can get the, you know, outside of what we've done. Uh, you know, that you can get the full effects of kava, but you have to go through all that preparation. And most people aren't willing to do that every day, especially people that are sick and challenged. Some people get nauseous whenever they drink the stuff and, and all that. So that's, that's the main form. And that's what I had to do. And that's what, uh, you know, the patients and, 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 and the doctor's network that I work in now had to do. Um, you know, the second form that you mentioned was like, there's like a micronized powder and that you bypass the preparation but basically all that's doing is that's fine grinding the kava down into very, very 
you know, um, small particles. Uh, but you're getting all of the roots. You're not actually straining or separating out any of the fibers and the tannins and stuff. And some of those things can actually be quite hard to digest. And some people don't tolerate them well at the stomach. And by doing that, you do um, get some oxidation during the grinding process of the of the active constituents and the enzymes. And so it sort of degrades the effects to a certain degree. And you still have to put powder in a drink and it still doesn't taste so good. It's not, it's not, it's way easier than preparing it from just the straight dried root, but it's better than the, the, you know, you know, the capsules that you find in health food stores, but it's not really good enough. Um, in, in, in my opinion, you know, for large scale use or for practical application in, in a medical, uh, standpoint, um, the other forms that you find them in, like in health food stores, like I alluded to earlier, is you can get them in, 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 in the capsules, or you can get them in like teas, right? There are some teas that, which they're basically the same thing. Both of those are extractions that are using traditional extraction methods and solvents, like alcohol, or sometimes even more aggressive solvents, you know, you know, hexane or some of these different things. Um, to extract alcohol-soluble or solvent-soluble um, constituents out of them. And solvents are, um, you know, substances like alcohol that, that can dissolve certain substances within them, and so you mix them with alcohol, and they'll pull things out of them. Um, and that's been a traditional extraction method as, you know, you know going... <laughs> years and years back, obviously, in, in all forms of herbal medicine. And it's good for some herbs and not good for others. You know, certain herbs that have a lot of these solvent-soluble or these alcohol-soluble constituents, and those are the main constituents, uh, you can get pretty good extractions out of. Kava is actually not that way. There's, just like any plant, I mean, plant medicine is complex. That's why it's biologically compatible. It's a living system, just like our bodies are living systems. And... Um, you need to get all of the active constituents out in these plants to get what we call the entourage effect. There's not just one active compound that we're looking for. We're looking for a, for a bunch of different compounds that all work together. We've heard about this like with, with in the world of like medical cannabis. There's all these cannabinoids, and there's 200 different cannabinoids, not just THC or CBD, the ones that we hear about the most. We want to get all of those cannabinoids to get the full depth of the medicinal potency. And kava is one of those things that if you don't do that, if you if you extract with a solvent and just pull out a couple of these active compounds, and in kava, these compounds are oil-based compounds called kava lactones. But if you only get a few of those, then you get something that's just a small shade of what true kava actually really is. And that's really what you get, and that's what I was feeling. So by the time you extract with a solvent, you only get a small handful of these covalactones. You don't get all of the enzymes that activate the covalactones to make them bioavailable. You don't get a lot of the other supportive compounds. And you end up with that thing that just feels a lot like chamomile tea that's mildly relaxing but doesn't have the, the, the depth of the relaxation, the cognitive activating effects that traditional kava actually does. And the teas are the same. So the teas are made with those solvent extracts, and then they're just put into a tea bag, and then you can release those as well. So those are what's right now on the market. You've got things that are easy to use that don't really work, and then you've got things that are hard to use that do work and, and can even make you a little bit queasy and sick as well. 
So that was what I was dealing with whenever we got into this. I love the effects of the traditional prep of kava, but when trying to make it available to more people, especially people who are challenged, it's difficult. And there's the, you know, the, the difficulty in use and the bad taste are the two major deterrents there. So that led us to trying to find a way to pull out that full spectrum of active cobalactones and other constituents without using a solvent um, and, uh, you know, to put it into a form that's ready to, doesn't require any preparation and that's, and that's palatable by the, you know, by the end user and by the consumer. And the goal was to try to just make this available to as many people as possible because, like, we hear a lot about, you know, different crazes, and these different crazes come along with, with different supplements. And right now we hear a lot about CBD. In the last few years, CBD has exploded onto the marketplace, and it's one of these things that's used for a lot of these reasons that we're talking about here, the neuroprotective effects. It's used in, in, um, in seizure-based conditions. It's also used for inflammation. It's used for anxiety and all these things. And I actually, I, I, you know, I really like CBD, and it's great for certain things. Um, but kava is one of those things that what I've always seen from it, and what do we even see from the literature, it's, it's, it has more of a direct mechanism to um, anxiety relief and relaxation. It has effects that you more feel uh, instantly instead of kind of being a modulator in a, in a totally non-psychoactive thing. So kava had tremendous application in this world because everybody deals with stress the number one symptom across the board uh, in all chronic disease is stress, anxiety, and insomnia. That's generally what most people who are chronically ill experience at some point because the whole process is, in fact, stressful. So anyways, we were when, when we were trying to make a product, we were trying to keep all these things in mind. And so I, I went and, you know, I, I work with some really brilliant people, and uh, I, I eventually – integrated an extraction method that uses um, high pressure, and it's a type of pressing that doesn't oxidize the, the, the active kava-lactone complex, the oil in the kava at all. Um, so there's, there's, there's virtually zero lipid peroxidation that actually happens during this process because we press at extremely low temperatures with no grinding whatsoever, which is, which is something that you always get in a typical expeller press, like whenever you're pressing seeds for oil and things like that. Um, you know, this actually came out of a, of a technology that was developed by a mechanical engineer friend of mine from Germany, and it was a breakthrough because we have access to, to, to some very comprehensive lab testing, so everything during this process was subjected to sedation. We were looking at what we were getting. We were testing the, the material for a cobalactone profile before and after um, to see what we would get out of it. And this process took several years to fine-tune. But what we ended up with was a full-spectrum oil where we separated all of the, the hard-to-digest parts of the plant. And we pulled out this sort of full-spectrum and suspended it in a non-oxidized um, sunflower oil um, that acts as, as a carrier for the lactones. And that is basically what the Cavaplex oil is. Um, and the effects are great, it's easy to take, and it's palatable, and we got past all those problems by doing that. So, You know, Cameron, some of the best podcast interviews are when I barely open my mouth during the whole podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I, like I said, I've been listening to you, and 
uh, watching some Instagram, watching some other podcasts, and uh, it, it amazes me, uh, well, at a young age, how much you know about this plant, how much you've researched about this plant, and how much you've gone through, uh, and in, in, to take that knowledge and that experience and uh, and create something that's uh, really set uh, to really help a lot of people. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I, I can't really say enough about what you're doing. Uh, uh, Dr. Dan Pompa is a friend of the show. I've known Dan for, oh, I don't know, 20 years, maybe maybe more. I'm a chiropractor as well. So, so I, I know what he's meant to you, and I know what he, what he does and how he works with patients. I know his work very, very well. Um, so I can't speak enough about this product. Uh, how about for somebody who has some familiarity already with kava and knows that there are different strains, uh, different types, you know, noble varieties. Uh, can you, ex mm -hmm. can you explain a little bit about that? And then, you know, what, which one did you choose for your product, uh, to put, to make, you know, to turn into quote unquote kava plex? Right. Okay. So there's a lot of things that, that, um, differentiate good kava from bad kava. That's one of the biggest sort of questions or things that I always address is, is, is okay, so, you know, uh, is, now that we know that kava is a really interesting plant, is all kava created equal? And the answer is absolutely not, right? So even if you have it in the right form, so all that uh, that, that I just went into about getting it in the right form and easy to take and, and, you know, the full spectrum of active compounds, that is probably the main thing. But the other main thing is, is actually getting the right strain of kava too. Um, so just like whenever we think about like, like medical cannabis, there are hundreds of different strains of cannabis and that can have varying effects. Some strains that are like more daytime strains, there are some strains that are more nighttime strains, and there are some that are kind of in the middle because depending on how they've been grown and what conditions they've been grown in and um, uh, which characteristics have been selected for whenever you replant the plants and you use the seeds or use part of the cuttings to replant them over time, um, they can express slightly different ratios of these active constituents, which can favor them to one side of the coin as far as this certain effect and one side of the coin as far as this other certain effect over here on the other side. So the, the main things that the kava is good for that it offers outside of the anxiety-relieving effects, which you all, all, already named, are the nootropic effects because it also has substantial effects on a um, another pathway in the body called dopamine, which is the body's pleasure center. But it does that without being addictive, and it does that without depleting that system and causing habituation and things. But that gives it its powerful nootropic and mood-lifting effects. So as a nootropic, as a powerful mood lifter, as a powerful anxiolytic compound, those are the, the main three things that, that you know people use it for. So some strains favor more of the nootropic effect that sort of wakes up your brain, but not in like a jittery coffee type of way. It does it in like a very calm focus, more of like an alpha state, that state of like calm centered creativity, um, which is really the best state to really learn and really work and, and get things done from a balanced perspective in. Um, and then there's the mood lifting aspect that goes along with that. So some of these strains, depending on what characteristics are selected for, where it's grown, and so on, um, favor more of that. Some favor more of the deep anxiolytic and sedating effects and are more of a nighttime kava, and then some are kind of like in the middle, right? So there's, there's roughly about 200 different strains of kava, 
And a lot of the different strains vary by um, the island that they were grown in. Uh, and like I said, the characteristics that were selected for. So like the island of Tonga is, is one place in the South Pacific that grows kava, for example. And they use kava mostly for social gatherings. So over the last several hundred years, they've continuously selected the kava plants that express characteristics um, for that sort of mood lifting social enhancement more than others. And they replant those. So they end up with strains that uh, have more of those characteristics that are more euphoric and daytime, more nootropic, more socially engaging type of uh, strains. And then Vanuatu um, has a lot of different purposes for it. So they pretty much have, have everything across the board. And then Fiji is kind of the same way as well. So out of all these strains, there's, there's a lot of different purposes for these things. Um, but also, too, within this sort of whole spectrum of, of 200 different strains, there are different classes. Um, and so there are some kavas that, are, that have been select, selected for over the last few hundred years to be extremely balanced and smooth and tolerable consistently for a person. Meaning that they're in that that's that sort of that that perfect range of a of a of a cavalactone chemical profile to where they have very smooth balanced effects and they they're not too intense or or, or overwhelming to the system. Um, we call these kavas it's a, it's a specific class and we call them noble kavas and that name was given to them in 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 Vanuatu and it's even part of the the regulatory system in there and stuff too. So in Vanuatu they've figured out over the last three thousand years which strains are daily use strains and which strains should only be used more acutely. And there's, there's the noble kava varieties. And then there's another class called two day T U D E I. And these are more sort of acutely medicinal um, strains. And all, all of the nobles are acutely medicinal too, but these are the strains that, that are not really used every day because they can be a little harsher on the system. They can make you feel a little bit more groggy the next day. And those are generally strains that, that we don't use because they can offer side effects to a certain percentage of people. And there's kind of a question mark around these two-day kavas um, because we're not 100% sure that, that you're not going to get any negative health outcomes from taking them on a regular, regular basis. There's no in the, in the literature to, to assume that they're dangerous, but we just don't know where the dosages are and, and where to stop with those things. And we don't have a, a 3000 year history of daily use with those like we do with the nobles. Right. So, so we generally stay away from those, even though there's still a question mark and those are applicable to some degree, but large in part, if you introduce those into the population, you're going to have a percentage of people that are going to get somewhat sick. And then you'll, you might have an association start to form that, that kava causes all these symptoms and it's not kava. Those, those are, those are as different from noble kavas as as marijuana is from CBD. I mean, they're 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 very different. So that is an important sort of quality control issue to understand if you if you get a hold of kavas. But the two day kavas grow a lot faster. So a lot of the kava that makes its way even into kava kava capsules and things, not only is it not potent anymore, but it may not even be a hundred percent safe because it's not it's not these pure proved out safe noble kava varieties. Um, so that's one thing to watch out for too. So you, you do want to make sure whenever you're trying any kava product that 
if if you want to be on the absolute up and up and know what you're getting is is safe, then you want to source out 100% noble kava varieties. So we use 100% noble kava varieties. We have we actually have have partnered with a gentleman who has his own farms, his own supply. Um, so uh, I mean, we basically control every step of the process from the you know you know the growing of the strain to the harvesting to the extraction to the storage and everything is done 100% chemical free and there's no pesticides used on any of these products they're dried correctly so there's no um, mold growth there's no potential for mold growth which you know produces mycotoxin which is a huge problem in the these sort of large scale kava operations see um, in places in the South Pacific because they don't dehydrate them all the ways to you know to keep the weight of the of their kava up these farmers will do that uh, so they can sell it for more so you end up with mycotoxins we've tested virtually every product that's on the market and every every kava material from every exporter in all of these islands and the vast majority of it is heavily contaminated with mold mycotoxins pesticides bacteria so that's a huge problem because it's a tropical plant and you you you, you get um, it's a tropical and starchy plant, so that's that's something to definitely watch out for. So the main things is that you definitely want 100% noble kava varieties. You want kava that's clean from a from a biological contaminant and an industrial contaminant standpoint, and then you want it extracted the right way that gives you the full spectrum of these of these active constituents. But then you know after you have all that stuff on the safety side. There's the selection of okay, well, there's all these different strains. Right now, we we only have one product, and because we were only going to release it one product just in the beginning to keep things simple, just so we don't confuse people too much off the bat, we wanted to choose a strain that sort of had all the elements of both of those sides of the coin, the more daytime and the more nighttime, that could be tolerated by all ages at any time of the day. Um, and you know wouldn't be overwhelming to any degree and not be in too high of a concentration right off the bat. In the future, we're moving towards having a whole line of different strains to dial into more specific purposes, different products, different forms. Uh, but for now, our oil, the Cavaplex oil, is pressed from a strain called Baragu that's from Vanuatu. And Baragu is just that. It's very, very balanced. It's one of the most popular strains for a reason because – it elicits that state of calm focus, and it leads to a good sleep at night. So you can take it during the day, and it'll still lead to a good sleep later at night. But it's not one of those that's just going to knock you out immediately. In fact, because it can be calming yet activating, you may not want to take it right before sleep. We recommend that you would take it like two hours before bed, and then it can lead to a good sleep because of that. And like I said, it's at a concentration that's not too overwhelming so that it can be well-tolerated during the daytime and, and can be even taken with things like coffee and MCT, which both of those things increase the uptake of the cobalactones and the bioavailability um, and allow it to kick in harder and harder. So it's a great adjunct to the whole bulletproof coffee thing for those of, you know, those, those listeners who are into that and do any of that thing. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, you get that extra nootropic kick off of it. Um, and, there's some other benefits that I can touch on too that are like metabolic benefits uh, that go on with fat adaptation. That's basically the gist of 
the different strains. Like I said, we use Bargu in this one. We're moving towards using some more powerful nootropic strains specifically for nootropics in the future, stronger sedating strains for, for nighttime use. But this sort of encapsulates most of the effects or all of the, the elements of kava across the board, um, at least to a subtle or more powerful degree in certain people uh, in, in that oil form. So. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, that caffeine helps with absorption. You help the MCT or even coconut oil as a bulletproof. I have yet to try that. I will absolutely try that. Um, is Do you have any knowledge or have you anybody tried For me, I, I love it. It works great for calming me down. I also found a form of CBD that I really like, a water-soluble. And for me, combining the both – has been real it's been extreme is great for me any have you seen anything there where you're combining cbd or a, a full spectrum hemp oil with a full spectrum product like Cavaplex has enhanced benefits oh yes absolutely i mean we don't have anything in the literature on that so far but anecdotally we see that all across our patient population for sure um it's very synergistic with cbd because CBD hits on different mechanisms. They both are, are anxiolytic compounds. They both are mood-stabilizing compounds. But kava does it through certain mechanisms. It works primarily through the GABA system, which is the same system that benzodiazepines work on, which the GABA system is the main inhibitory neurotransmitter, calming neurotransmitter chemical in the body that's like the ultimate brakes of your nervous system that throws you into parasympathetic, that allows you to calm down, and, and that allows you to sleep. So, so kava has a direct mechanism by binding to those receptors in a way that doesn't cause habituation or downregulate them. In fact, there's, there's a lot of evidence in the literature, and there's a phenomenon that we know about kava that's called reverse tolerance, um, where we actually see an upregulatory effect on those receptors the more that you use it. And the more that you use it, the less that you tend to need over time, because instead of needing less or more and more – like you would with a benzodiazepine or alcohol or a drug, um, and you get dependency and tolerance because you get have less and less of your body making that, that chemical naturally, it tends to wake up and increase the number of GABA receptors that you have over a period of time when taking it. So it helps acutely, but it also helps support the rehabilitation of your parasympathetic nervous system as well. Just one thing that's great about kava. But so with the CBD thing, CBD has a different mechanism. CBD works through the endocannabinoid system, which is like the, the regulator that sort of regulates all of these things. So it's like a, a step removed. It's less direct, which is why a lot of times it's not as – you don't feel it as much. You know, It's more of like it, it, it prevents things from happening or it modulates things from happening. And if you take a good CBD, then you could definitely get some sedating effects off of it. But it, it works through this endocannabinoid system that helps regulate all these systems as an overall modulator of your nervous system and immune system. Um, so it definitely is synergistic because they both are some degree modulators and they both have this complex set of active constituents in them as well too. And, and because they're modulating to the nervous system and because they work through different mechanisms, they, they sort of hit – on you know different aspects of, of of propping up weak parts of of your body's nerve regulatory process, so um, so they're very synergistic together in many cases. I mean, I actually use them together as well too. And just like anything else, I mean, especially if you get a good CBD that's done with an extraction method that's more full spectrum uh, and sourced from really good hemp, uh, then that's just going to maximize your your effects as well. Right. Right. Great. Great. Um, 
How about how about safety? Is is this safe for kids to use? How about pregnant women? I mean, how safe is this product? To me, it appears to be extremely safe. Yes. Okay. So so all of those quality control issues are the main things that you look at when when you're trying to assess safety of kava. Um, so uh, you know, obviously the the contamination issue, you know, you know, getting noble kava varieties, all those things. So. But the main thing about kava, so this is an important thing to address, and, and a lot of times it's one of the first things that I address after addressing actually what kava is. Because if you've, reached, if, if you've researched kava anywhere out on the internet or ever heard of kava and gotten to the point where you wanted to try it, then you've probably come across articles or blog pieces or, or excerpts online that have said something about kava and liver toxicity, right? Or the proclivity towards, towards liver toxicity or some sort of a scare around liver toxicity. But then whenever you read about it more, it tends to be like very divided, like it's, it's uncertain, um, but you know, some people believe that it is liver toxic and some people believe that it's not. And it, you know, this is actually really easy, um, investigated and understood actually what took place here. Um, there was never any, any association with kava and liver toxicity before around uh, the year 2000, 2001. And it had been used daily by these indigenous people in all of these islands for, like I said, 3,000 years with no anthropological accounts of any adverse health effects whatsoever, especially on the liver or you know, getting jaundice or any of these things. And it's not like that it hadn't been clearly assessed for this because it definitely had. Kava actually is also one of the most well-studied herbs in the world uh, there's a whole body of scientific literature on its use. Um, it's so it's one of the most well-studied herbs in the world outside of cannabis and ginseng and like reishi mushroom. Um, those have have a few more studies, but kava's been been well looked at. But in the early 2000s, kava was starting to explode all over the world because people were starting to get into this idea of supplements and things, and there was a huge um, craze, I guess, or you know, desire to sort of investigate this plant and bring it into markets all over the world. And there are pharma companies that were looking at it and trying to create drugs out of it, which is normally what they do. They'll try to take something and isolate a single molecule from it and, uh, you know, and put it into a form that they can patent and sell as a pharmaceutical drug. So there was one company uh, called Schwab Pharmaceuticals, and it was in Germany, uh, that was trying to do this. They were trying to make a drug out of out of kava, and they really didn't have any understanding of the differentiation of different varieties, strains, or even parts of the plant that you're supposed to use or the indigenous people have found out that they should use, which is a very important thing, actually, because one thing that I mentioned about kava earlier is that the roots of kava have been prepared for 3,000 years, um, you know, for this, this medicinal drink. And the definition of kava is the, the, the drink roots of Piper methysticum, right? So, but the other above ground parts of the kava plant, the leaves and the stems also contain kava lactones that will give you effects. But we also know that in the leaves and the stems, there are plant defense alkaloids that are toxic to a lot of animals that the, that the, the plant produces to try to defend itself you know, from pests. And we know that they can give very bad side effects. And the indigenous people figured this out thousands of years ago, which is why there are, they, they decided to only use the roots and they 
they only use the roots exclusively because of that. There are many other plants too in the world that you consume one part of the plant and the other part is toxic. You know, if you've ever had a rhubarb pie, then that's one thing. But if you eat certain parts of the plant, they're extremely toxic. That's the same thing with a lot of different things in nature. So, but whenever this pharmaceutical company was going to find a product, they didn't pay any attention to any of these quality control conditions, nor to adhering to the traditional preparation because they were trying to do the opposite. They were trying to isolate a single molecule that they could patent. So basically, they ended up getting a hold of some kava waste product that some unscrupulous farmers were selling to them um, in, in Vanuatu because the leaves and stems and aerial parts are the waste products. They throw those away. And so they were ended up selling these, this, this, these waste products. This is, uh, you know, to this pharma company. And they were using these aggressive solvent extracts and, and, and isolating certain cobalactones and And what ends up happening is these toxic alkaloids um, are actually way more soluble in these solvents. So, so they ended up not only having the toxic compounds, but they concentrated them through the extraction method. Um, <laughs> and so they ended up with a product that you can't call kava at all. They ended up with a pharmaceutical product that is no more like kava than a, a synthetic caffeine pill is coffee, right? You can't you know, take a caffeine pill and call it coffee. Um, there are people who die from caffeine pills, right? There are people that go into the ER from caffeine pills all the time, and uh, that doesn't happen with coffee, right? So, so, so this had happened. They integrated this pharmaceutical product, and it was one product that this happened with, um, into a study with you know with a, a group of individuals that were that that were pretty much all ex-alcoholics that were coming off of alcohol so they all had compromised livers to begin with they gave them this product and they hurt a, a collection of people and i think that the total was like 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 ever was like 20 to 50 people and this same product actually hurt some other people as well too so then they got a lot of media coverage that story spread around the world to a scare around kava because no one really understood or reported accurately on this situation. There just wasn't really an understanding of this stuff and, you know, saying, you know, differentiating this is kava, this is not. They just got a lot of media coverage and it just spread like wildfire and it led to the banning of kava sale in many countries around the world. Not like scheduling it or anything like that, but just banning the sale of it. Um, and But it was a huge enigma because it was well known too that this had been used, that kava had been used, you know, forever in the islands. Uh, so it was vetted out in the scientific literature over, um, you know, I mean, over like the next ten years after that event, and which led to some clearly defined lines of what is kava and what is. The World Health Organization a few years ago, back in 2010, actually came to a clear position on this, that said, you know, that the kava is is the drink prepared from the roots of Pyrimethysticum. And as long as you adhere, adhere to these quality control standards, then kava is, has, is a traditional substance that has been used safely in these islands, right? Um, and all of those are the quality control standards I just named. So, so free of mycotoxin, um, these certain noble kava varieties, uh, non-solvent extracts. So a, a traditional preparation, uh, and ours falls into that category because it's using pressure. There's no solvents. Um, so, and then actually, here in 2020, this year, um, the the World Health Organization or is in the process of adopting, or um, sorry, the Codex Alimentarius Committee, which is a subset of the World Health Organization, is adopting a, an international quality standard that is like sort of a global recommendation 
that is using all of these quality control standards um, to, you know, you know, to differentiate what is kava from what is not. Like, what is the food kava versus what is not? And we're actually in the process of getting food classification with our products, so not even dietary supplements. So food, just like coffee, so which is which, you know, no other kava product in the world will be able to say. So all of this stuff has been vetted out, but it just come it came from a misunderstanding, uh, you know, in the scientific literature of like, well, what is kava, what is not, right? So you know, just like I said. Um, you know, a full spectrum extract, clean extract of, of a noble kava variety is as different as CBD is from the most aggressive marijuana, you know, which, you know, you could say would be like the two day variety of the bad solvent extracts and all kinds of denatured and stuff. So, so it's like whenever we ask is kava safe, we have to be clear what we're talking about. So now that we actually have the World Health Organization taking a stand on this, it's been clearly vetted out. I mean, the answers are there, but it's just the story has proliferated. It's just a belief system, right? So that's why the FDA has never banned kava because they knew there was there was insufficient evidence. They issued a disclaimer back in 2001 saying you might want to be careful, but now they're in the process of 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 updating that you know, whenever Codex updates theirs and you know to fall behind this international quality standard. So. We adhere to all of these things. Every single one of our products, uh, all of our kava is tested before it leaves the islands and whenever it comes into our facilities. Um, our products are tested thoroughly for mold and mycotoxins and for pesticides, even though you know we know that they're not in there, we still test them and we provide those CEA those the COAs if you if, if if you wish to have them. We do a full spectrum kava lactone profile to show that the chemotype or the ratios of these active constituents are the same as they are in the starting root material. So, so, so we haven't denatured them all by using any solvents or anything. And that just shows that it is, that it mirrors the traditional kava drink. So you know that it's the same thing that they've been using in Vanuatu for 3000 years, but just in a more palatable and easy to use form. Um, so we provide all of that information and this has taken an enormous amount of work to, to dial in and create shelf stable palatable versions of these things that are the actual true, Kava varieties. The other thing is, uh, all of our kava varieties too are grown and matured for at least five years or longer, and that is really where it has to be for you to get therapeutic efficacy out of kava. A lot of these large-scale commercial operations not only are they using these bad solvent extracts that cut down the potency and and are potentially toxic through through contamination, but they a lot of times are harvesting these plants at like two to three years and they just haven't matured fully yet. Right. So they don't even give you these effects that are just so highly prized and that the, the kava has become sacred and popular for. So we do all of these things to, to ensure that the individual is getting the highest quality product, the same stuff that I was getting straight from these farmers in Vanuatu. Um, and, you know, and we provide evidence for that as, as well to ensure 100% safety. So, Cool, cool. Now, we're kind of at our end. I knew that this podcast was going to go a little bit longer than scheduled. When, when you start releasing some of your additional products, would you, would you come back on, Cameron? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got, we've got a lot of things in the pipeline, drinks and shots, like 5-Hour like Energy, like shots and things. So there's going to be a lot of different things, strains and everything, and, uh, you know, used for um, a lot of different, uh, you know, purposes and stuff. So, yeah. 
So definitely want, to, definitely want to have you back on. The the link to check out their website and to purchase Kavaplex will be in the show notes and all our weekly emails. It'll be the product of the month for March, I believe. The 20% discount code is capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G, capital K, capital A, capital V, capital A. So BYWG Kava. Uh, last question for you, Cameron, that I ask all the guests, what is your daily rhythm from waking to sleeping? <laughs> yeah, so I, what I do um, is I daily intermittent fast. So I usually don't eat breakfast whenever I wake up. Um, I eat it within a small window, so I don't eat less. I eat less often because I'm trying to keep my body in this optimal state of fat burning and you know getting a little bit of a state every single day, even if I'm not in a ketogenic diet. Um, so, so, so I intermittent fast, so I don't eat breakfast. I do a workout routine that varies by day. So, you know, two to three times a week, I do a high intensity interval workout, um, in the morning. Um, sometimes that goes into the, goes into the afternoon, uh, but I, I normally do it in the morning. And then I just do some form of, form of cardio as well too, or other form of exercise as well. Whenever I wake up, I usually, I will take a, um, with my first meal or even before, actually, I'll take a nootropic stack or, or, you know, some adaptogenic herbs or something, maybe on an empty stomach. Um, I take my kava, which is some that I have pretty much every day, uh, with my coffee. Uh, so I do that. I, I, I get to work. I work most of the day until I eat my first meal. Uh, and then from, from there, uh, you know, sometimes I'm doing some other different things. I do a lot of different biohacking devices. I've got light therapy, you know, devices, these juve light panels oh, that are sure. really popular me, me too. That, that I use. <laughs> yeah. I've got polar mm. magnetic field therapy devices uh, that I use. And so I, I don't use all of those things all the time, but I'll use usually if I do any biohacking things, I'll do them in the morning um, whenever I'm fasted or I'll do them, you know, closer to the end of my work day. So I got a lot of things in there that I do. So, but I, but I cycle everything. So it's hard to say, I don't do the same thing every day for adaptation you know, purposes. So, <laughs> but that's the general gist of what my day is. So awesome. Awesome. Cameron, can you stay on once we're finished? I have one question to ask you off air. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Cameron. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer, your co-host, and you are listening to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please share this with your friends and encourage them to subscribe on iTunes. Leaving a review on iTunes would be the icing on the cake. Thank you. And you can subscribe to our weekly email at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com. Thank you. And as my oldest son, Hayden, says, be awesome and never unawesome. It's Dr. Noah, and I'm back. I suspect you love listening to this week's podcast release. Our book of the month is F Your Feelings, Master Your Mind, Accomplish Anything, and Become a More Significant Human by Ryan Muncy. We absolutely love this book and the author. A must read. The link will be in the emails, social media, and our show notes, so check it out. Our product of the month is Kavaplex, full-spectrum kava oil. Kava has been used for thousands of years and is enjoyed by millions as a drink when it's prepared in the traditional way by kneading and squeezing the root powder in water for some time. Now it is available when you need it without all the time and hassle in a, a full-spectrum oil product from True Kava called Kavaplex. I first tried this product after receiving it in a biohacking quarterly box and fell in love with it. You can check it out at our website 
and you can receive 20% off using the code capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G, capital K, capital A, capital V, capital A, BYWG, Kava. The supplement of the month for March is Stress Rebalancer. This is a specially selected blend of vitamins, adaptogens, herbs, and amino acids that help counteract the negative effects of stress on the body. By reducing cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone, improving immune function, acting as acting antioxidants against free radical formation, improving muscle relaxation, calming the brain, and reducing anxiety and mild depression and helping with better sleep. This is a one-stop shop for managing the physical impacts of stress. The 10% discount code for the month of March is Stress Relieve 10 and can be used online or at the office. If you have any questions or comments, please never hesitate to reach out to us. Thank you for your time and be awesome and never unawesome.